And I was just sitting there in the middle of the room, like just hanging out, looking around, listening to the music. And throughout like the next 30 minutes or hour or whatever, dude, I just started like kind of wanting to growl. <laughs> it was just like a little like, uh, like <laughs> uh, just being like, yeah, like I'm a fucking tiger. <laughs> All right, what's up, you sexy bastards? It's your boy, Gluten-Free, a.k.a. Rabbi Can't Lose, a.k.a. Noah Kagan. Today's episode is part three of our Ayahuasca series. If you haven't heard parts one or two yet, check them out on iTunes, Spotify, or Overcast. You can also read the full post at okdork.com slash A-Y-A. In part one, you heard about the worst night of my life. And in part two, you got introduced to Zach, my shaman who went from stockbroker to moving to Guatemala to run ayahuasca ceremonies. Today's episode is part three with Billy Murphy from foreverjobless.com. He's my friend I've known for years who introduced me to ayahuasca. Over the past two years, Billy seemed like he's been in a funk. He wasn't sure what he wanted to do with his career. He was bored and struggling to find a romantic partner. Does that sound familiar to anyone else out there? But in the past six months since he went on his first ayahuasca retreat, his life has totally turned around. I'm not saying that ayahuasca is a miracle drug, but for Billy, it made a huge impact and we discuss how you can apply his learnings to your own life, whether or not you ever even want to try ayahuasca. Disclaimer, my lawyer Shlomo Kagan reminds you, don't do ayahuasca or drugs, do your own research, yada, yada, yada. Quick plug, I love seeing your reviews of the podcast. It means the world to me. If you could please take 10 seconds right now and go on iTunes and leave a review, I'd really appreciate it. You can also go to okdork.com slash review to have links to easily review the podcast. I'd really appreciate it. In today's chat, we talk about three major things. Number one, what happened when Billy did ayahuasca, including losing his face, crazy visions, and lessons learned. Number two, how Billy figured out what to do with his life. And number three, how you can get out of a rut and think about the next steps in your life. You'll learn these three things and a bunch more. Enjoy. What's going on, Billy Murphy? What's up, man? Who is Billy Murphy? Is that my question? Oh, man. I know it sounds like super meta, but like, I don't know about you. When you brush your teeth, do you look at yourself in the mirror? Yeah, for sure. What do you think about when you look at yourself in the mirror? I just wonder if I got all the stuff out of my teeth. Oh, really? I'm like, <laughs> go through phases of where I'll stare at myself. I'm like, fuck, you're bald. Or damn, you got wrinkles. In the past few days, specifically, I've been like forcing myself to go look in the mirror and look at myself and be okay with myself. A lot of that is like, who am I? That's why it's funny when you say, who are you? It's hard because we're all like programmed to just say whatever our background is, which is you're just giving like a work history, entrepreneurship history. We default to defining ourselves by our work. It's kind of like a Twitter bio. I created this new technology or I'm a salesperson at this company or I did this thing and I have two kids and wife I love. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think a lot of significance comes from that purpose of work. How do you find purpose in what you do? How do you figure out who you are, especially with our experiences with ayahuasca, which we're going to talk about? How do we evolve as people? Yeah. What do you talk about that you're excited about? We've been talking for years, and this is the first time in six months that I've ever seen you, I think, genuinely happy. Yeah, I went through a weird period for a while, yeah. You were in like a two-year funk. What do you think triggered that originally? I really didn't know what I wanted to do. A lot of business stuff was for lack of a better term, just kind of getting boring. Like I didn't need to go make more money on something. So just starting another business to go make another X amount of money was really unappealing, but that's all I was used to doing. I wasn't doing what I wanted. I just kept doing more stuff to make more money. 
Do you think someone with a day job is listening to you and thinking, well, f- screw you, just give me your money then? Yeah, for <laughs> like, sure. It is a good problem to have. You yeah. know, it's a problem, but it's a good problem. I wonder if that's also a phase in life, like in your 20s-ish. Like, all right, make money, make money. 30s were much more intentional. 30s, 40s, 50s were like, what would I really get fulfillment out of? Like, I guess I'm trying to figure out what's that balance for people and how do they figure that out? Yeah, a lot of people would say, oh, I, I mean, dream is this. If I only make the money to do it. And I was so envious even though like they didn't have the money to do it, but that they actually knew what they wanted to do. I had the opposite problem. I had the money and the time and the freedom to do whatever I wanted. And I had no idea what that was. And so I was just frustrated. For example, a lot of people have a job. Let's say they have a job and they make 50 grand a year. And most people are in a situation where they make 50 grand. Maybe they can save a little bit each year. They can have a decent life. But if they have a dream to do whatever their dream is, and let's say that dream costs a million dollars to achieve, mathematically, it's impossible for them to hit their goal unless they want to wait until they're old and they really can't do it to the degree they probably want to do it. So when you look at, okay, what are some other routes? What if you tried to start a business and try and start something with unlimited upside to where if successful, becoming a millionaire allows you to do that? Someone that's not used to taking risk would look at it and say, oh my gosh, I can't do that because I risk losing this $50,000 a year job. With your current route, you're guaranteeing yourself that you're losing at the game you want to win at, which is basically living the life that you want to live. How do you deal with that when your expectations aren't meeting reality? Man, I've tried to do a better job of thinking like, hey, like the only reason I'm mad right now is because I assumed I was going to get this. We only get pissed off or stressed or whatever, usually when we assume something else. Because like, I'm trying to think, have you ever done stuff where you'd never had expectations? When I initially got into the fitness stuff, I had zero expectations at all. And I remember being really happy throughout the whole process because I literally went in super scrawny, like not knowing if it was possible other than hearing it was possible. I was never stressed about the results. I just chipped away at it. But with other stuff, it seems frustrating or stressful. And I don't know if that's partly just because, you know, we have a certain goal for ourselves or we compare ourselves with others. You know, with the fitness stuff, I'd never really worked out. So I couldn't really compare myself to the guy in the gym who'd been there for like two decades. Where in business, I think we look at the success stories of people who they show us their highlight reel on social media and they've been at it for a decade or two. And we don't see that 10 years or 20 years, like they've struggled along with whatever they're struggling with. They just don't share that part. So we look at their highlight reel and we are like, man, like I'm really failing, but really we're not. We're just seeing like one little blip. It almost seems like every time, if you have a lower expectation, then almost everything you do, you'd be happy with. You ever seen that Saturday Night Live skit, by the way? Lowered expectations. No, I haven't seen it. Kids these days. But on the other hand, I was thinking that it's good to have an expectation because that might push you to be more than you think you could. Yeah, it's a hard balance because if you didn't set any goals, you wouldn't progress very much in life. Like if I just said, I'm never going to have any expectations ever, probably wouldn't set any goals. And when I woke up today, I probably would have just thrown movies on and uh, (laughs) just hung out and make chips or something. A good way to think about this, kind of when I went on my search for what is going to make me happy or fulfilled, it always came back to flow state. For flow state, what they talk about, and this is related to kind of expectations and you know how aggressive you set goals and things like that. I think they said something along the lines of if you set a goal to progress 4% above where you currently are, you'll be in a flow state or you'll have a high percent chance of being in a flow state where if you set a goal to progress, you know, I want to go from making $0 and never started a business to a million dollars a year, you're going to be disappointed. Is there a chance you could do it? Sure. But 99.9% of the time, you're just going to be frustrated and quit. If you can set your goal to be 4% ahead of where you are, you'll be in a flow state because one is possible 
And two, it'll keep you progressing. And if you don't have any progress in your life, you'll be very unfulfilled. If you play someone who's significantly better than you at ping pong, you're not going to have fun, even if you love ping pong. If you just get crushed all day, every day, it's not going to be that fun. Where if you played somebody who's a little bit better than you, you're in flow state because you're trying to figure out how to beat them. And vice versa, if you played someone where you're significantly better than, you're not going to have fun still, even though you're crushing them because you're not in any sort of flow state. You're just crushing somebody who doesn't really know how to play ping pong. And so I think the same thing relates to, you know, I think if we set some level of expectations where I'm going to progress and just keep improving that 1% every day or week or month over a consistent period of time, but at the same time, we've stayed in a flow state while we're doing it. So every time I'm unfulfilled or not happy about something or stressed about something like, well, am I in a flow state or am I just kind of getting up trying to do work? But if I'm not in a flow state, it might be related to why I'm a little frustrated. Do you think it's that our generation is all sissies? And that our parents and older generations were just, they were like the real women and men of the world. Because on one hand, I'm like, they didn't flow. They just grind. They just found work and sucked yeah. it up. And I don't want to say it was the good old days, but I have a lot of respect and admiration for a society and a generation that their intent was not just about their own satisfaction and not being yeah. fulfilled all day. It was, what is my livelihood? What does my family need? What does the future need? Yeah, I don't even know if like the word fulfillment ever came up. They weren't like, oh, am I fulfilled today? Like, no, they just put the work in. No, fulfillment um, was literally like, hey, did you fulfill that fucking order? Because you said you would. Yeah, my Nana, she'd always say, keep your nose to the grindstone, which means just keep grinding, like keep working. I'm sure you've seen it, you know, with employees you have, with a lot of employees I have, you can tell it's a different world. If you hire someone in the 20 to 25 year old range, the level of motivation a lot of times is so low. They're really not motivated to get anything done, but they expect amazing things. Their ability to put in the work to get the things they want is very, very low. I see that a lot. I think they see the overnight success that they think other people have. They want that too. <laughs> and so they expect that. They see all the YouTube stars and the Instagram stars and all that. And they say, yeah, I want that too. And they don't understand really what it took. And so they assume just kind of showing up that they'll get it. I've had this thought recently where I'm not doing Instagram. I deleted it. No Facebook on phone, Twitter, barely YouTube unless it's more helpful. And I've had this thought in the back of my head that whoever can focus the longest wins. It's like if you are one of the few, like the 1%, and not even in wealth, but 1% in focus, and this is what I try to tell myself, and that I can go above and beyond being distracted so frequently that I will be able to do whatever I want. And I like how you equated an expectation to a goal. Like my expectation is I accomplish this by then. And that is my goal. This podcast, I expected it to have 100,000 downloads an episode. And when it got to 20,000, I was disappointed. And I honestly, a little discouraged. I had to remember that my expectation is different than my motivation and different than my, as you said, flow. I get flow from like talking to you. And afterwards, I have more energy and the fact that we get to record and share this with people. And so maybe I need to change my expectation to, hey, let me just try to have great conversations and worry less about some of the outcomes of it. Yeah. And I know one thing I started doing too, you know, when I help people with starting businesses, a lot of them had never started a business. And so I'd say, look, you can tell me what your ultimate goal is, but why don't you have a tier one goal so that mm. you can shoot for that first, because they'll stay in a flow state where if someone comes in and says, look, I know I want to make 50 grand a month in my business. Great. Tell me about your last business. Oh, I've never started a business. Like I just graduated college. Okay. Well, again, it's not impossible, but tell me something that you could achieve that would make you happy. Like, let's knock one thing off your list. Maybe it's making three grand a month that would allow you to travel more or quit your job or do these kind of things. So it's a very small goal 
that moves them to the next tier goal. So maybe they set two or three tier goals so they can see the progress and much more likely to stay in a flow state to get their ultimate goal. I love that, dude. I think that's a great one for people to take away. You have all these quotes on your wall. A lot of people listening won't be able to see them, but I'm going to read one. When I was over to use your restroom a few weeks ago, I took a photo of one that is the key to power is to say what it is you are going to do and then go do it. I feel like that is so damn good. And I know it's simple that the key to power is to say what you're going to do and then go do it. But I think that kind of ties into the Insta generation. What I've been doing every morning since our retreat was that I've been reading this mantra that I wrote where I have like seven things that are important to me. And I will say rereading something and seeing a quote or seeing that over and over, like thinking about being Zen, loving myself more, being okay if there's not stuff going on. Seeing it over and over actually does really help me internalize it. You know, I got that big quote wall. Conor McGregor, the reason I have him up is because he just has this ultimate demeanor of like, look, whatever I want to do, I'll go get it. And he just has this unbelievable confidence about himself. And it's rare. I don't know if I've ever seen that type of confidence in somebody else before. If he sets his mind to something, there's no hesitation where everybody I know has some level of hesitation. They don't know if it's going to work out or whatever. And Conor, I've never seen him hesitate at all. And he's big on having certain affirmations and just going and get it. I kind of wonder with that where myself included, like I have a Steve Jobs quote on my phone about starting over and not feeling pressure from experience. The feeling of lightness is what enabled him to go and be creative and do great things. And at the end of the day, it's like, well, you also got to start putting it in action. Yeah. I spent a week at the end of each year, basically strategizing and planning like what went well this last year, what didn't go well, what do I really want to focus on this upcoming year? I put together a bunch of quotes and I was like, yeah, I want to get like the perfect quotes up relative to the things I want to work on this year. And I thought about that a lot, like as I was spending a lot of time, like trying to pick the right quotes to give to my assistant to put up on the wall. I wonder if I should just be working on something right now instead of finding the (laughs) optimal quotes for me. (laughs) It's kind of like that Ray Dalio book principles, which is unbelievable, but there's so much goodness in it that I remember none of it. And I think kind of with the quotes and stuff like that, like maybe there's just one quote or a few things for specific phases of our life. You got to wonder, like, what quotes is Conor McGregor reading? Is he reading his own quote? Steve Jobs or Elon, are they just doing things? Is it a mindset thing? What are they reading? Like, if we were to be a billion-dollar company, what are billion-dollar decisions? So which decisions would we be doing? Which things would we not be doing? How would we be hiring? Who would we be hiring? I think that, like, bigger mindset or that bigger possibility will hopefully lead to bigger things. Yeah, but I know somebody who does this meditation sometimes before they start working. And the meditation is if they're sitting around a table with people they admire in the copywriting world and they think about what type of copy would this person write in this situation. And so, for example, with somebody like how to make an investment decision, you'd sit there and meditate and think about what would Warren Buffett do in this situation? And you really sit there and meditate on it. And it's almost like you can get Warren Buffett to give you advice by all the things you've read on Warren Buffett and you kind of know what he would do you know, similar to business, you know, what would Noah Kagan do in this situation? Shit, I don't Um, know. I'd write quotes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's go into drugs, obviously. Uh, Everyone has their own stuff going on in life. Everyone's got family stuff going on. Everyone's got hangups from relationships. Everyone's got something in their professional work life. I always think of a spectrum from zero to 10 of people's baseline of happiness. I'd say you're like a three and a half, four. And I saw you one day after three years of being closer friends and you were like a seven or eight. And I was like, dude, Billy, I need a hit of that. And you said it was this ayahuasca thing. You know, I've heard of Abiyamakis talking about it. A few other friends have gone to Peru. My 
imagination or assumption of it was that you go to this dirty yurt and in the yurt it's dark there's some like creepy old dude and you puke in buckets and then you just trip balls and i was like i literally could just do that at home maybe find some drug or acid or something and try that at home and see how that goes but you seem transformed and so i wanted to bring you on to share with the audience what that transformation is like when you went in i was were you thinking like what was your expectation I was a little bit skeptical, but I'd heard so many good things from so many people. However, same as you mentioned, I mean, if you Google ayahuasca, all you read is about people puking all the time. I've done six ceremonies now and never puked. And I don't think you puked either. No, I didn't. I sharted though. For sure, I sharted. <laughs> Did you really? No. Nah, nah. <laughs> that was my biggest fear going into the first one. Oh, really? I read, read stories about how you're going to puke or crap your pants. And I was like, please don't crap my pants. So you go to this weird place with weird people with a weird thing, taking a weird drug, and you're most worried about puking or shitting yourself. The biggest thing that I heard from friends who had done it was that I was going to get some clarity and insights on my intention was going in was, uh, what do I want to spend my time doing? And so I felt pretty optimistic that I was going to get some clarity around that. And so it was just funny that I heard the stories about all the puking and people crapping their pants ahead of time, which every ceremony I've been to, I don't think anybody's crapping their pants that I know of. And the puking, anybody who pukes, Lots of times it's for like one minute and there's nothing that actually comes out because you don't eat for such a long time before the ceremonies. And so you might like puke up like a tiny bit of water or something. It's more of an energy that you're getting out and like cleansing your body. It's not like that you have to throw up a bunch of food that you ate. But yeah, I've never puked. I know you never puked. It was just a funny fear. Like, oh man, I hope I don't crap my pants. <laughs> Maybe describe what it was like when it first got started and then what kind of visions and experiences you started having during your first and potentially second, whatever you think is most interesting. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have a ton of visions. I know some people in our group had all these three-dimensional visions and stuff like that, but mine were more like I would see certain images or visions when it was related to a lesson. And so a lot of nights it's just this insight download. It's just trying to give you insight after insight and lesson after lesson. One of them was around my work and like spending time working on things I didn't necessarily like doing for money I didn't necessarily need. And then it would show visions of my parents wanting to spend time with me. And then it would show me being busy working on whatever I was working on at the time, again, not needing to do so and not necessarily enjoying it. Then it would show a time when my parents weren't around to spend time with, you know, so even if I had the free time then, like they're not there anymore to spend time with. And so it just kept bringing me back and forth. And even after I'm like, okay, I got the lesson, it keeps showing you these images and like driving home the lesson. I can remember doing this a couple of times at my first retreat. Like, all right, I totally get the lesson now. And it would bring it back again. And it keeps showing me, no, you don't get it yet. Like, you've got to fully understand this. And people that have more experience with ayahuasca have said, like, no, it'll keep driving the lesson home until you get it before it moves on to the next thing. Like, you don't get to tell it, like, when you're done the lesson. It'll show you what you need to see. So show me images like that around lessons. And this one time, this wasn't the vision. I remembered I was like, rubbing my arm and rubbing my hand, like almost like petting myself. I caught myself doing it. I was like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? And so I stopped. I just like put my hands back on my stomach where they were. But I had this urge to like keep rubbing my arm and rub my hand. I'm like, all right, well, I know I'm doing it, but I like really want to do this. So I'm like rubbing my arm. The message I got around it was like, I need to do a better job of like self-love, whether that means taking care of my body, taking care of myself, go get massages, go do, go do float tanks, go to a chiropractor, like that kind of stuff that just take care of my body, which I know I don't really spend much time on doing. It's always 
whatever I'm working on or whatever I'm doing at the time, I'm not really focused on like, Hey, like, how am I doing today? Maybe I just want to go get a massage or go chill at the lake for the day or something. And the message I got was, I really don't do that very much. I don't take care of myself. I was mentioning it to a friend of mine who doesn't do any drugs, doesn't really drink that much. And he's like, you know, if you really just kept asking yourself what's wrong, like you could have gotten this answer. And I was trying to really process that where for someone who was like, I don't need to do any of this stuff. I don't want to go to a retreat. Like I can just yeah. sit and think about it. I don't think it's possible. And I don't think you could yeah. get to the level where you're like, it's connecting these kind of dots that you're like, I don't even know how my brain knew to bring this up and show it to me. Like, hey, my parents, I need to spend time more with them. Or, hey, I'm not taking enough care of myself. Yeah. Within eight hours of ayahuasca, I was like, all right, I figured it out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think I told you after the first night, I don't know if I need to do this again. Like, I feel like I'm enlightened now. <laughs> but it's not so much the figuring it out, right? Because I remember afterwards, I was like, well, I've given myself the same advice. Like, just do what you want to do and work on what you like. And you've told me the same advice many times. Like, Billy, what would you do if you had $100 million? Go do that. And I get it. And the advice makes sense. And I analyze it. I'm like, yeah, it does make a lot of sense. But the difference is after ayahuasca, it was like, you fully get it. Why didn't you get it before though? Because I think if I was listening to you, I'm like, well, I'm just going to journal or I'm going to go meditate or I'm going to go to a therapist or there's advice we don't even hear that we don't know we need. And we just still don't believe it. Like, why do you think this experience made you believe it? It's almost inexplainable, but I guess the way I would try to explain it would be you believe and you fully understand it in your whole body. You just have full clarity around it. Like when I left the first retreat, I was so, so clear on, I'm going to eliminate all the stuff I'm doing to make money that I'm not having a lot of fun doing. Because in my pre-IA life, I would always justify something and analyze it and I can remember even doing this during ayahuasca. It would show me images of, you know, cut out the stuff I'm doing for money and that I don't need the money and I don't really like the work. And I would always justify it logically by saying like, well, yeah, but if I make more money now and when I theoretically have a family in the future, we'll be able to live a theoretically better life. And that was always like the logic because I don't have a family, you know, I don't have like a wife and kids. And so, you know, in my mind, I'm always like, well, I'm building money so that if one day I have these things, all the money will be set. I'll never have to worry about working or anything like that analyzing it like that, like more money is good because I don't know what I'm going to need it for in the future. But I mean, ayahuasca just eliminated that and it's like, but all the stuff you could do now, spend more time with family, do writing that you want to do, put up books you want to put out, go have fun. All these things that I really didn't spend as much time doing because I had to work to make more money doing stuff I didn't like for money I didn't necessarily need. I don't know how to explain it, but on ayahuasca, like you just fully get it. I don't know if it's the visions. I don't know if people always say like you learn more through visions and through story. And ayahuasca is just this, gives you stories and visions around the lessons it's trying to teach you. And I want to put a quick disclaimer that ayahuasca doesn't cure cancer or maybe it does, I don't know, but it's not a cure-all. It can be potentially dangerous. You can shit yourself. (laughs) It's not an easy thing. It's not you're going and getting an ice cream and you're like, oh, this is fun. It's a struggle that leads to visions or experiences or awareness of things that you want to do. It's something that I think people need to go do their own research. It's just, I wanted to share what seems like, I don't want to say miracle, but it seems like something that's positive that isn't really discussed as openly to the mass audience. And maybe in five or 10 years, like paleo or keto or you know newer medicine, this will be something, plant medicine, that'll, that'll be open and more mainstream. Share the Billy, Billy the tiger. Because I think yeah. that vision is kind of something that is even leading you to make better decisions for the past months and then even recently. Yes. And it was funny because the first retreat that came up, I got images of like a wolf or a dog or something like that. The second retreat, 
I guess I got images of a tiger. And this is going to sound super freaky to people who have never done any psychedelics or never done ayahuasca. So it sounds weird, but it's the way that I understand how ayahuasca does things. It shows you things to be able to get a lesson out of it. And I saw images or visions of this tiger. And I wrote down a lot of intentions before the second retreat. And one of them was around just self-confidence, being more confident. And I was getting images of this tiger. And I just had the urge to growl. <laughs> and it sounds really, really trippy. But I was like nervous to do it. I was like, man, this is so weird. Like, I just kind of want to growl right now. And keep in mind, we're at a retreat. There's 20 people laid out on mats and with blankets surrounding me. So we're just in a big kind of circle or rectangle with everybody around me. And so I wouldn't do it. And then finally, like I tried to do a little bit, you know, my throat was kind of dry because we're not drinking any water or anything during the ceremony. And so I tried it again, like nothing really came out. And then I did a little one <laughs> and I thought it was funny. <laughs> like after a while, I finally like did it a little bit and whatever. And I didn't do like a louder one until later, which I'll tell you about. But this is around the time I think I got the whole, I need to go sit in the middle of the room. And the thing around that was you're not really supposed to leave your spot during the ceremony. I mean, you're not supposed to go away from your mat. Like it's not totally disallowed, but you're really not supposed to do it very much. And so keep in mind, it's pitch black. You can't really see much, but I was really nervous to go to the middle of the room. I was like, this is so stupid. Like I'm sitting there like being like, it's a dark room. Barely anybody will really even see me. It's almost like you felt like a little kid, like you're not supposed to do something and you, you really want to do it, but you're, you're not allowed. And let's go for a couple songs. All right, next song. Like, I'm just going to hang out in the middle of the room. In my mind, I was like, like, what would a tiger do right now? Like, you do what he wants. <laughs> he would sit, sit in the middle of the room. What would a tiger do? And so finally, I'm like, started like getting up. Then I was laying down and I started getting up and I look around and you can see a little bit, but not really. And so I get up and I start moving to the middle of the room and I crawling out on my mat a little bit like a tiger. And I like, I get up, I walk over and I sit in what I think is the middle of the room. And I'm like, all right, I'm here. <laughs> it was so dark. I didn't really make it to the middle. Like I didn't know exactly where I was. So I listened to the music and I just kept like creeping up closer to the music. And I was just sitting there in the middle of the room, like just hanging out, looking around, listening to the music. And I probably stayed there for at least four or five songs worth. So probably 20 minutes or so just hanging out in the middle of the room, just being like, yeah, like I'm a fucking tiger. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, all right, like I think I'm good here. And I go back to my mat. I just get up and walk around. I think I went outside to go to the bathroom, come back in and I laid on my mat and it felt randomly really good. Like I knew it was so goofy. Like throughout like the next 30 minutes or hour or whatever, dude, I just started like kind of wanting to growl. <laughs> and I remember one of the guides came over and when I would see him come over into my area, I would start growling at him. <laughs> and it wasn't angry at him. Like, it was just weird. It was just like a little like, uh, like, <laughs> uh, and it was just a, like, almost like a purr slash growl. And I probably did it a little louder over time. You just when certain things would come up throughout the night. But I remember he would come over and I'd start growling. I can remember the next morning asking him like, was I growling at you last night? <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah, you were growling at me. And I was like, oh, like, you know, it's just being a tiger. <laughs> you also said you thought he was part of your pack. You weren't actually growling at him yeah. negatively. You were like, hey, what's up, my pack mate? Yeah, and I felt the same thing. He was at the first retreat. I felt the same thing. Like somehow like we were connected or knew each other in some way. What do you think that was implying to you about life after the ceremony, that vision in our experience? 
we were playing in different dimensions on at least one night from the first retreat. I was playing in another dimension like the whole night. What do you mean? It's like you're in this other world and everything just makes sense. Like you understand how people feel, like the energy of certain people. I'll give you a couple examples because I didn't know if it was like maybe I was just seeing these crazy visions or something. On the first retreat, one of the nights, there was a girl there who was having a really, really rough time. And on ayahuasca, you can almost feel energy of people and you feel your own energy much, much more. You feel things differently. And I can remember kind of sending energy and kind of sending good vibes her way. And the next day when we all share about our experiences, you know, we do this round table about what did you go through and, and all that. So we can all hear what other people went through and learn from their experiences. And the shaman will give feedback on, on what we went through. And when this girl went that day, she said she could feel people coming over and like giving her love and like sending her energy. And specifically, she felt like the two guys next to her who were right next to her, like coming over and giving her hugs. And keep in mind, we can't touch anybody. We can't talk to anybody on this. So she's talking about like, she saw them come over in this other place. And the other guys both confirmed like, yeah, like we sent love over, like we sent energy your way, like similar to how I did to her. And she said, yeah, I, I could tell you guys were coming over and, you know, sending your energy. And so at the second retreat, the same girl was there. I remember one of the nights there, I was laying right next to her on the mat next to her. And a lot of time when I'm not in my own world, usually I'm just laying on my back and like with my eyes closed and like going through my own experience. But occasionally I'll just be in this like playful mode. I'm like looking around the room, seeing what's going on. And so I would always lay on my left side or lay on my right side and kind of look at the person next to me and kind of see what's going on. And I remember looking at her at one point and her face was gone. Like her face was just completely gone. And I can remember like looking closer and looking closer. And I'm like, am I seeing this right? And like, I know I'm on ayahuasca. And so maybe I'm just seeing something weird, but no, like her face is completely gone. I keep looking from different angles and her face is definitely not there. <laughs> <laughs> and everything else in the room is totally normal. I see everything else totally clear. You know, there's enough light where I see everything so clear and her face is gone. It's definitely not there. And I just didn't think again about it. Well, whatever, her face is missing. And so the next morning we did the circle again and everybody talked about their experience. And when we got to her, she said, yeah, you know, there was one point during the night where my face disappeared. And she talked about her lessons from her face disappearing. And I was just mind blown. Like, okay, I was there. I saw your face disappear too. Like and it was nothing to do with me, right? Like it wasn't my lesson. I couldn't believe that I was seeing everything she was seeing in this other dimension. Like her face disappeared. I saw it. She was saying like my face was gone. There was a couple of times when you would think something was funny and then you'd hear somebody laugh and like you'd laugh about it. And like then there'd be an echo of laughs throughout the room. It was like everybody understood what was happening in this other dimension. Yeah, I was thinking about deja vu. Like I wonder if you heard the laugh and then that triggered the thought. One thing that stuck with me as you were talking about this is that you went back. Right. So you did a three day retreat and then you went back to do another three day retreat, three ceremonies. It's three days in a row of five to eight hours of taking the medicine, ayahuasca, and then sitting in a room with music in the dark, processing life. I think there's a lot of times in life where we find something that helps us and let's go back and do more of it. I think that you can even say it in the business sense like, if there's something that's making you money, go do even more of it. If yeah. there's a book that you've read that you said, oh my God, this book, maybe it's the Bible. Maybe it's a cookbook. I don't give a shit. Go reread that book. If there's yeah. an experience, some conference, Tony Robbins, ayahuasca, a soccer camp. If it's helpful, I think what we do is that I experience it once. I'm like, damn, that changed everything. I feel great. All right, I'm done. 
and I think someone put it well when they said it to me this way, we spend a lot of time on our physical maintenance. We spend time on like some professional maintenance, but we don't spend time on mental maintenance. You know, you going back a second time, I think it's just a really great lesson around that. I think we're always looking for some other secret that I don't know. So let me go find something new, even though we already know what works. We're looking for some other secret answer. He talked about books. I have this problem too. Like I always order new books that I want to read and all the books that really helped me a lot get pushed to the side. And so actually this summer, I make little markings in all my books. I still have the physical books. I don't use a Kindle. So I make markings in all my books of the parts that really helped me. So it allows me to reread a book very fast of all the parts that really stood out. So I can read a book in 10 or 20 minutes. And so I reread hundreds of books that I really liked over the summer and just my notes, just that 10 to 20 minutes of stuff that stood out as a lesson that I needed to take. And I think if all of us just read the five to 10 books that really helped us the most over and over, I think we'd potentially be better than just going out and reading the newest hot book that's really just a regurgitation of old books anyways. I mean, ayahuasca, I don't know if I've had something help me as much as that, that I can think of the first time. So in going back, I started thinking about what else do I need help on? Like what else do I need clarity on that in three days of ayahuasca before gave me more clarity than I got in three years trying to do it on my own and actually like putting a lot of effort on my own journaling, meditating, traveling, writing. It wasn't like I just mailed it in. Circling back to what we talked about in the beginning, what was the expectation on the second time versus the first time? Because I'd almost wonder if it's a negative thing, because if I had this experience where clarity on my work, clarity on my family, some understanding of relationships, some self-improvement, and then the second time I'm like, well, shit, man, I'm going to go expect now this thing to be a miracle every time. Yeah. So I'm curious like how that led into the second experience and then how the outcome was for you. I was actually more nervous the second time. I feel like I wasn't really nervous at my first retreat. The second time I was actually more nervous, I think because the first retreat went so well, every night was great for me at the first retreat. And I knew people had hard nights and hard times sometimes. And so I went in being like, maybe it's going to kick my ass this time because maybe I kind of suppressed something at the first one. And so I'll only let good things come up. So I was nervous that it was just going to kick my ass at the second one. I didn't know what that meant, right? Because I'd never experienced that. Again, like expectations were exceeded. Like every night was one of the greatest nights of my life. I got tons of new insights. I felt like it does feel like a total refresh you're just kind of reset. You know, any stress you had before seems really silly. You're more empathetic towards other people. A big lesson for me was empathy, having more empathy towards other people. And I feel like I do an okay job at that, but it just drives it home so hard. And I'll give you a really specific example. I was having visions and messages about being empathetic towards certain people in my life. And then I thought I had fully got the lesson based on all the images and the visions it was giving me. And then the girl next to me, got stung by a scorpion during the middle of ceremony. And Which is not, it's not common. It's not like a thing where yeah. they sting you intentionally with the scorpion. This is not a normal ayahuasca thing. I mean, we were just in a place that happened to have a couple scorpions roaming around. <laughs> well, I didn't know what was happening at first. And as soon as she said that she got stung by a scorpion, I was on guard and I was freaking out. Because keep in mind, you're way deep into your ayahuasca experience and in your own world of seeing your own images and in your own lessons. And the girl next to me is sung by a scorpion. Most of my thoughts were around, oh my God, we got to find the scorpion because I didn't want to get stung too. Because keep in mind, we're six inches or a foot apart. I mean, we're very, very, very close. So if the scorpion is on her, like it's right next to me. So I was freaking out. I was like, we got to find this scorpion. And I was all telling one of the guides, like, I think I'm going to move my mat somewhere else because we didn't find the scorpion. And 
And it was funny that the guy was having to cool me out and the girl was more fine than I was. I was like, I don't want to get stung by this scorpion. I'm just going to move my mat like a different place. He blew this energy around me. <laughs> and all of a sudden, like, oh, okay, I felt a little better. Now that you've blown this energy on me, he put his hand on my head like he did this little energy or something. And I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to lay back down. I feel okay again. And I laid there and thought about it like, oh man, like ayahuasca keeps trying to teach me. Like I was not thinking about her at all. I was more concerned with me and she's the one that got stung. And I can remember being thankful. I didn't have to get stung to get this lesson that I really need more empathy for other people. Then I was like, oh, you're still not being empathetic. You're happy for yourself that you didn't get stung. You so deeply understand that like, man, like I was not empathetic there. And, and normally I would not be thinking about that at all. I'm way more empathetic towards other people. And, and a lot of times we're thinking about a, a person in a negative way, maybe let's say, I will think back to certain instances in ayahuasca that I saw that like reminds me to be empathetic. Obviously the scorpion was a random event, but I think back to that time when I wasn't thinking about her first, I was thinking about me. The lessons from ayahuasca really stay with you and you remember them and they pop up when I'm afraid to do something now. I think of, dude, remember the tiger, remember sitting in the middle of the room. It sounds goofy, but you remember these lessons and bring them to your everyday life. I think as you're seeing things happen, I don't think you're like, I'm instantly empathetic and I love everyone more than myself and yep. I'm making sure everyone's great. But I think it's more of a reminder now as you're seeing other people go through things, I think it plants seeds for you to think about it. Definitely from my experience, there's times where I'm thinking about, am I causing havoc on other people? Which is something in another episode that I've talked about where, you know, is that the kind of experience they're having? Am I being vulnerable with my girlfriend? about certain things I wanted to share with her. And it, it's just interesting that today I was even like, man, I don't have enough work to do all day. And I'm like, Noah, you can just be okay being yourself. So I think the two things I kind of want to highlight for the audience is, I think one major theme that I know we've gone back and forth and our group has gone back and forth is around energy. Let's talk about how people can be aware of their energy and then we can end it with, what are things that people can do that are never going to go do ayahuasca? The energy, it's something that if we talked about pre-ayahuasca, it sounds super woo-woo. I'd be like, that person's super woo-woo. And I can tell you after doing it, you understand energy on a deeper level, or at least I understand that I don't understand it. When you go through ayahuasca, you can feel energy. Even the week after ayahuasca, I know when I'm walking down the street or sitting in a coffee shop or something, I can feel the energy of people. Like I can understand how that person is feeling. There was a guy like working all day on his laptop next to me and seemed okay, but he seemed like maybe a little stressed dude, a, a tiger would go like, see how this guy's doing. Or I just rolled up to him. I was working next to him. I was like, Hey man, like you want some of these mangoes? <laughs> I offered him mangoes and he was like lit up and it was like, all of a sudden he was in a different mode and, and happy. And we were just like hanging out, eating mangoes together. <laughs> you need a wolf pack. That's what I'm hearing all along. Go watch the hangover, create your wolf pack. What you've really highlighted. And I think this is where everyone can learn from. Like how are different things affecting your energy? Yeah. It's like what work, right? What people, what food, what sleep? Literally, I was like, holy shit, it's everything. Yeah. The first couple conversations I had that were businessy or something like that, I felt completely drained after the conversation. It was weird because I was on such a life high after ayahuasca. And it was like, if you had a business conversation, you could instantly notice you had a different energy. Like this morning I got up and I was really tired. I didn't sleep well last night. I was doing a dry fast. And so I didn't eat or drink for a day and a half. And I can't sleep during that, you know, I do those. So I woke up today, I was really, really tired. And I started talking to you and I feel energized again, because you have good energy right now. I remember in our crew, the five guys, when we were hanging out, even before the retreat, we were all energized and excited to do this. And it didn't matter how tired we were, or like what else we had going on. 
And then a couple of days after when we'd just hang out or go to dinner together or go get massages together, it was like, we were all super energized and it was because of the company we were keeping. Everybody around us was energized and giving off good energy and no one was stressed or complaining or, you know, bringing us down. And one of the things that came up for me on ayahuasca is, man, like you need to remove yourself from the situation because it's going to affect all other areas of your life. And then it's a circle, right? Because if you give it to people who are draining your energy and your tank runs low, it's going to affect things you want to do, whether it's writing or whether it's running charity bike rides or things like that. It'll drain the things you actually want to do. And as a cycle, then you won't be as happy from those things you actually wanted to do. And it's, you never fill your tank up again. I've noticed that a lot in the following week. Who do I get around that energizes me? I need to maximize my conversations and my hangouts with those people who drains me. And they might be great people, but man, if they drain you, you got to protect yourself and your energy because it's going to affect everybody else you talk to in your life. I think a lot of people were like, well, I've got a job and I can't just tell my boss to fuck off. This is probably what people who work with me are thinking. <laughs> They're like, oh, that Noah son of a bitch. I hate that guy. But no, and it's not just that. It's that control the energy you can control. So if you can control yep. the food that gives you more energy, like just be aware of what things are affecting your energy positively or negatively and see what you can do about those. Like change your lunch, change your breakfast, maybe who you're talking to. You know, it's amazing where you can have one conversation and you saw me yesterday where I had one conversation that literally derailed my whole day and it affected the other person as well. And, and that was something that I was very aware of afterwards and that was unnecessary. And so I think the big thing is be aware of, of energy and then see where you can reduce and see where you can increase. One book that actually I'm going to go reread, it's called Powerful Engagement. And the authors basically, it's not about how much time you have in a day. It's just about where do you have the maximum energy to get the most things done? And it was like, oh, it's interesting about the effectiveness of things, not just about the time of things. I was talking with a buddy of mine and I thought it was really interesting what he said because he's experienced ayahuasca. He's like, you know, you go there, you have this crazy experience, but he said the most important things are what are the action items that yeah. you're going to go do from this? I think it's good to meditate or to think about things and process things, but if you don't make any real changes, did it really matter? And so I think it's helpful to hear about yours, but I think what's even more helpful for the audience is what are things that for people who are never going to do ayahuasca, maybe what are the few things that they can go do for their own lives that you've learned for yourself? Yeah, I think for me, maximizing flow state has been the most helpful. So find out what puts you in flow. And it doesn't have to be work-related. Flow is a state when you're not really worrying about other things. You're so in the zone. Like they call it if you play sports, like being in the zone. You're so in your own world. You're in a really good place, like in terms of like a happy place and you're not stressing or worrying about anything else. You're just a hundred percent focused on the task at hand in a positive way. And there's a better description, like I'm sure Google has a, <laughs> a better description than that. Okay. For me, it maybe it's writing, playing basketball, lifting weights, good conversation, like those kind of things. So if you talk about how do you maximize flow, you need to do things that don't drain your energy. So the book, the one thing does a good job of like, okay, set the first few hours of the day where you're doing your one thing. And so a lot of times put the thing that puts you in flow in the beginning of the day because your energy is not drained so that when you try and if it's important to you go do something later in the day and you're already drained, it might be tougher to get in flow. And so for me, if that's writing, easier to write in the beginning of the day because I'm not drained. I'm not stressing on everything else. I don't have other things that are going to bring me out of flow. You know, phone is on airplane mode and you basically don't let anything distract you from that flow state because as soon as you get out of flow state, if you have 10 meetings throughout the day, your life is not going to be in very good flow. So it's important to set up days so that flow isn't interrupted because if flow is interrupted, then your state of happiness is, is interrupted. 
<laughs> I, I think the problem with flow is that it's so flowy and it sounds like bullshit a lot of the times. I like the word energy because it's more relatable. I think what you're saying is you're much more aware of what things affect you and what things you're like, shit, when I'm doing this work or doing this activity or with this person, my life is better. And so put yourself more in that and less in, in other things. I think one thing that's helped post ayahuasca is of the things that you learn from an experience, have a group to support you. Yeah. In any activity, right? If it's a fitness group, if it's a professional group, if it's a social group, dance group, whatever. I think our group where I talk to you almost every day has been really impactful for me. So whatever I'm trying to improve, it's like, all right, maybe I need just a coach or maybe it's a group of sorts. What else for you? Uh, I've been doing a five to 10 minute gratefulness meditation in the morning, you know, thinking of what I'm grateful for and just appreciating it and listening to the songs we did during ayahuasca. It kind of brings me back to the state I was in. I think that helps. So listening to music that puts you in a certain state. Mm, um, music. I like the music one. Yeah, that, that's helped a lot. I used to do meditations and get frustrated because I couldn't meditate. Like I couldn't get rid of all thoughts. And so now I go in with no expectations and I just put the music on and am appreciative and just sit there in it. And like our group, I think the reason that does so well for us is we're all in the same playing field, right? Like we've just kind of started an ayahuasca journey. So if I see progress you're making based on your experience with ayahuasca and what you're doing afterwards with integration, it helps. And we're all on the kind of the same path where when we talked about if one of us had done 500 ceremonies and was just Buddha already, we'd be on different levels. So yeah, being around people that are on the same path and in the same kind of playing field, I guess, every time anybody from the group posts something, I'm thinking about it for myself and getting an insight about how I could do something similar in my life. I think in terms of the gratitude meditation, I think actually the concept that's just as helpful is just creating some type of morning foundation. And I think you said it earlier, which was so true. It's like, hey, if you realize your flow is great in the morning, then just get work done in the morning. And I do realize that this kind of call or writing or just reading for me, not doing bullshit stuff in the morning, like really sets me up to have an amazing day. So what yeah. breakfast, what meditation, what music, what activities, and then just block out your morning or wake up earlier and do that every single morning. Another one that's been helpful for me is that on my phone, I don't have any social media. And it's hard. I'll tell you, like I'm in the toilet or I wake up, but I don't have email. I don't have Instagram. I don't have Facebook. I don't have Twitter. I don't have Snapchat. It's been about a month of it. I did it before we started our journey and I've continued it. And I think what I've realized from that is that it keeps me more focused on the things at hand, present. I'm more present, I guess, as the hipsters say. I'm not jealous of things. I think I notice a lot of time with a lot of the social media that I would just be like, oh, Billy's there having more fun. Oh, that person's more fit. That person's more wealthy. And it would create a lot of jealousy. And I didn't need it. And it would also, a lot of the social media would make me not be living for myself. I'm living so that I can show other people who I don't even know things that are going on so that they can think I'm living some type of specific type of life. And it's not to say I won't come back to this or there's not ways of making this kind of stuff helpful because there are ways of using it as communication with your network. But it's just trying to figure out how do you remove the distractions of life that aren't benefiting you? Yeah, agreed. I haven't gone as strict as you on social media, but as soon as we got another thing, I cut myself the two days a week where I can get on social media. Really does almost no benefit to being on there. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I think be aware of your energy, remove distractions, create a morning routine, get a group around you. And then maybe number five would be go into nature. So, yeah, it's been helpful. I've been doing a yeah, lot of lake walks. Yeah, go to the lake in Austin, go for a bike ride, go to the beach. What I was going to say was journaling. And the thing I've been doing with you the last several years has been helpful for me. It puts me in a state where I know like what's important this week to focus on. So the backstory on that is kind of the beginning of my rut. Like, I don't know what I want to do. 
you had said, Hey, why don't you set a challenge? And so it was like a 30 day or 90 day challenge or something like that. And he said, email me every week on Monday with, you know, your progress report, just keep emailing me, you know, it'll help with accountability or whatever. That was like three years ago. And I just never stopped emailing you. (laughs) And part of the thing for me was it turned into basically where I have this mini blog that only Noah gets. I just started writing my thoughts of the week or, you know, something I'm doing or something I'm thinking about and, you know, what I'm doing the next week or the next month based on these things that I'm thinking about. And it helps that know that somebody else is going to read it. And I think that's been really helpful that knowing that, okay, like I can't mail this in because Noah's going to read it and call me out if I say something that isn't legit that I haven't thought through. So I'm sitting there really thinking through these emails before I send them to Noah. You know, sometimes they'll give me feedback. Sometimes they'll just say, sweet dude. But it helps that I've put the time into really being conscious of, am I really going to be happy with what I'm doing this week? Do I like the route I'm going? And if not, every Sunday or every Monday, I'm making a plan to make something happen to change it. I love that, which is make a list of the things you want to do and have some level of accountability. Like it's good to be in a support group. Hopefully they're not just supporting you blindly. It's like, oh, everything you do is great. But I think that point of like, hey, what are you doing? And having someone actually be like, hey, is that the right thing? And just providing support around that is awesome. So Billy Murphy changed forever from ayahuasca. (laughs) Still, Still going, man. Still a work in progress. I think that's a good way of labeling it. All right, that's a wrap. I hoped you liked the episode. To read more about Billy's experience, check out foreverjobless.com slash Aya. That's foreverjobless.com slash A-Y-A. In next week's final episode, we have the second half of my conversation with Zach the Shaman. This is where it gets crazy. You do not want to miss it. All right, next up, go text a friend you love them. Yo, dog, I miss you. Let's do a slumber party. Have a wonderful day. What's your favorite thing to order at Starbucks?